Welcome to Christian Life Assembly Online. We are so glad that you were able to join us. We hope you enjoy the message this week from Pastor Jim Poirier. For more information, please visit our website at www.clawinnipeg.org. Or if you have a prayer request, please email us at prayer at As we begin looking at the series on the messages of A Journey to Ephesus, we're talking today about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. When we think of the cities that we live in, I think of the city of Winnipeg and what makes Winnipeg unique, what makes Winnipeg special, what makes Winnipeg a, a wonderful city to live in. Well, there's many things that we can think about when we think of Winnipeg. I think one of the things about Winnipeg that I especially enjoy is the weather. And I really say that quite sincerely. We don't have uh, tsunamis here. We don't have earthquakes. We don't have these huge typhoons that have to take place. We don't get hurricanes. And I am thankful for the four seasons that we have. I actually enjoy the four seasons. I'm not a big fan of the hot, hot weather. But I don't think anybody else is any, any more than I am. The other thing I really appreciate about Winnipeg is the strong work ethic that people have here. The strong sense of volunteerism. The generosity that surrounds our city is, is uh, renowned in our country. Winnipeg has a lot of great qualities. The price of housing is pretty reasonable compared to other major cities. So we do have some good things about our city. It's, it's a growing city. It's uh, uh, an expanding city. I love the multiculturalism of our city. I love the multiculturalism of, of our neighborhood, of our church. I love that. I love that about our city. I love the fact that people are welcome here from all over the world. I love the fact that the, the, the city is growing and it's expanding and there's new buildings going up and it's kind of exciting to be part of something that, that, that seems to be growing as opposed to dying. Now there are some drawbacks in our city like any other city. We have a, a problem with crime like most cities. We have problems with drug addiction like a lot of cities. Uh, we do have some challenges, and I know most of us probably don't like it when the wind chill is minus 50 or minus 70. But they get that in other parts of the country, too. So there are some, some drawbacks to our city, just like any other city. Every city, any place you go, has its problems, has its challenges, has its frustrations. It doesn't matter where you go. We learn that there's really no greener grass anywhere else in any other pastures. So as we look at our, our message today, I want to share with you a few different uh, aspects about Ephesus. We're going to talk, first of all, about living in Ephesus. And Ephesus is located in Turkey. You can see from the map here that it is actually inland a little bit. I, I understand it's about five miles or five kilometers, something like that. But Ephesus in the first century was actually a port city, and the port would have been filled in with, uh, with silt from, from, the, uh, from the sea, from the ocean there. And Ephesus was a very prominent city in the first century. Biblical Ephesus that we're, we're talking about was about a quarter million people back in the day, and it was the second largest city in the world. It was a center, it was a hub for commerce, 
It was also a, a center for learning and, and intellectual endeavors. It was uh, uh, a place where philosophers came out of. It was a very prominent city. It was uh, a place that attracted a lot of very influential Christian leaders. Leaders like the Apostle Paul, like John, like Timothy. And some scholars say that it was probably the last place that Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived. Very interesting. There's some debate on that. Nobody knows for sure, but it's speculated. Early Christianity was an urban movement. And you might be a little bit surprised to hear that. We oftentimes think that maybe it was kind of a rural thing. People out in the country were getting into it. But it was an actually a, an urban movement. And the idea was if you can get the urban centers, then the gospel is going to spread. And the reason it would spread is because people would travel in and out of the city. They would come to know Christ, and they would take the message of Christ anywhere they went, especially if it's a port city where people are really traveling. It was also a place that was the, the home of one of the ancient world's seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis, which was a, a goddess that was widely worshipped in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was not a, a spiritual, um, a, a place where spiritually there was nothing happening. There was, there was something happening, and there was God worship there. And Christianity was kind of a little bit late coming to the party because there were also Jews living there and uh, obviously followers of Judaism. So Christianity came into this environment kind of late in the day, but nevertheless it came and made a big impact. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 19, you will find that the impact that, that Christianity was having was, was quite extraordinary, so much so Paul was, was preaching in the synagogue and was having such an influence that many of the, the Jews got very upset about it and drove him out. They didn't want him there anymore, kicked him out. Uh, so then he went into uh, a lecture theater, a lecture hall, and he began to preach and tell the message of Jesus there. Interesting story as you look at Acts chapter 19. They got upset about that too. Because the message was catching on and people were coming to Christ and they were... Yeah, giving their testimonies and turning in idols that they'd worshipped and talking about the evil things that they'd done before, there was really a transformation in a lot of people's lives. Well, what happened was it started to upset the economy because a lot of people were dependent on the Artemis, the, temp, the, the temple to the uh, goddess Artemis for their economic well-being, selling statues and various things like that, metal workers and all of these people were depending on, on this temple. Well, as people were turning away from Christ, they were giving up on this stuff, and it was affecting their income, creating a little bit of an economic crisis for people. Well, a riot took place, and they wanted to drive Christianity out of Ephesus. So it wasn't a neutral zone in terms of what was happening there spiritually. As we look at the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 Paul says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. He was writing from, from prison when he wrote the book of Ephesus. It's really building on uh, the letter he wrote, uh, Galatians, and he's really talking. We're going to be talking about the supremacy of Christ. We're going to be talking about the power of God. We're going to be talking about all of those uh, aspects about the Lord Jesus Christ as we 
look at this, this series of, of scriptures over the next few weeks. It's understood that the book of Ephesians was actually a circular letter. And there is some, some belief that the actual letter was first of all written to the church in Laodicea and then copied and then recirculated and therefore uh, ended up becoming the book of Ephesians. So there are those thoughts too. So a circular letter was one that was written to many churches addressing these issues found in the book of Ephesians. Just a little bit of background for you. Uh, You can tell people that and they'll think you're smarter than they are. As we continue looking at this passage of Scripture, I want to read to you our text, and it is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I want to talk, secondly, about being a saint in an unsaintly environment. Now, when Paul is writing this letter, he addresses it to the saints, to the saints in Ephesus. Do you ever think of yourself as a saint? I try to portray that to my wife when I mess up, when I leave clothes out, when I uh, forget to close the cupboard door. There are times I wish I had an imaginary friend that I could blame, but she probably wouldn't believe that either. Do you ever think of yourself as a saint? Do you ever try to portray yourself as a saint? I think that most of us have our feet pretty firmly planted on the earth, and, and we don't spend a lot of time each day thinking, well, you know, I'm a saint. We probably don't get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, well, hello, St. Beatrice. <laughs> we probably don't do that. But Paul was very clear in addressing the church and the believers as saints, which is pretty extraordinary, pretty impressive. The saints in Ephesus. And really... I've never thought of it this way before, but we're actually encouraged to live a double life. Now, some people are, in fact, doing that, living double lives, and then they get caught and thrown in jail. And then we say, oh, I didn't know that was going on with that character. But the double life that we are to live is one of being saints, number one, and living in this world, number two. We are saints in this world. We are saints in Winnipeg. And if you're listening online, you are a saint in wherever you are living in this world. We are saints. We have a double life. We have a home in the city we live, but we also have a home in heaven. We have a home in heaven. And we have something to look forward to. Uh, Yesterday, just to portray how saintly your pastor is, Joanne and I were driving along uh, the road by Assiniboine Park looking at these incredible mansions. And I began to sing a hymn, as any saint would do, about a home in heaven, a mansion just over the hilltop. We might just live in a cottage here below, but I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. See, that's very saintly. That's what you do when you're driving through nice neighborhoods. That's what saints do, apparently, maybe, sometimes. 
Sometimes we just get jealous. <laughs> so we're saints. Think of yourself as a saint. You have a home not just here on earth, but you've got a home in heaven. You've got a future. You've got something to look forward to. How do we attain sainthood? Well, it's through Christ. Paul goes on to say, in Christ. And this is one of the first times in the New Testament of 33 more times where the, the term in Christ is used. We are saints. We are in Christ. We belong to Christ. And when you think of being in Christ, the term Christocentric comes to mind, which means Christ-centered that our lives are centered on Christ, that Christ is the center, he is the pivot around which we live and, and work and, and have our being. Christ is the center of our lives. And he, if he's not the center of your life, you can make him the center of your life. You can make that change. And something fantastic happens when Christ becomes the center. Life starts to make sense. We start to have an anchor in our lives. We're not just drifting along, doing our own thing, thinking our own thoughts. But Christ is the center, and we always come back to Christ, and he always makes sense. And when he doesn't make sense, he always has a plan and a purpose for you. Christ is the center. We are saints in Christ. Christ is center. He is the center point of our lives. And you know, it's kind of illustrated in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21 and 22 where the rich young ruler was really impressed with Jesus and wanted to become a follower of Christ. And what did Christ say to him? Go and sell everything you've got. Give it away to the poor. And come and follow me. Now this isn't a, a blanket statement for all rich people. But Christ looked at this young man and he knew that unless he did that, Christ would never be center of his life. If he didn't completely surrender everything, he'd never be able to follow him. And so Christ just cut to the chase and said, this is what you've got to do. You've got to sell everything, and you make me the center of your life. You follow me. And you see, the problem with, with Christianity today in North America is it has become one of many things that, that we dabble in. And unfortunately, many times we are, are mixing Christianity with other religions, taking a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Or we're mixing a little bit of Christianity with, in with our time. When Christ fits, then we will give time to Christ. And Christ is saying, I want to be center. I am to be your, the middle place of your life. I want to be at the, at the beginning. I want to be at the end. I want to be in the middle of your life. Christ is central to us. Third thing I want to share with us today is living with grace and peace. Living with grace and peace. I was reading this week of a young woman whose life blew up, her marriage blew up. Shortly after her marriage blew up, her career blew up. And everything that she'd had and everything that she'd worked for over the last decade or so Vanished. Her income, her relationship, her home, her career. It all just vaporized. It went away. Christian girl. 
And when we look at those kinds of situations where you have this young woman, you know, leaving her city, leaving her friends, leaving her associates, leaving everything she had, moving across the country with no job, and starting completely over. It's in times like that that we need the grace of God and we need the peace of God. We need the grace and the peace of God. Because life has its share of surprises, doesn't it? Life has its share of setbacks, its share of reversals, its share of hardships. And I love the fact that as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul is addressing these believers and he says, Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. And I say to you, church, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. I love what one commentator said. Grace marks a beautiful movement of life in the direction of blessing. That grace is, a, is, is moving us toward the blessings of God. Let grace move you. Let grace be bringing you to the blessings of God. We're on the move. Grace is the wellspring of God's blessing. And don't go through life as a believer assuming that you're not blessed of God. You are blessed of God. You are a child of God. If you are a follower of Christ, you are blessed of God. He has you in the palm of his hand. He's looking after you. And then Jesus goes on to say, my peace I leave with you. Peace is not dependent on our circumstances. It's not dependent on our situations. It is something that Jesus gives to his children. My peace I leave with you. Grace and peace. Grace moving us into the blessings of God and peace that is left with us. And then the fourth point I want to make this morning is the value of spiritual blessings. Think of the blessings that you have. Think of the blessings you have. Now, being the saint, as I said earlier, that I am, that we all are, we're all saints. Joanne and I have, I don't know that it's become a habit, but we find ourselves very often accepting the fact that we have had many blessings in our lives and talking about the goodness of God and talking about the blessings of the Lord, the blessings of provision, the blessings of God, just in so many different areas. We are blessed by God. We're blessed. Now we think of, of blessings here on earth. We think of health and happiness and maybe you've got a job and you've got a roof over your head and you've got a bed to sleep in and we have grocery stores that are full of, full of groceries. The, the shelves are not lined with nothing, but they're lined with an abundance of food. But Paul is talking about something else here. He's talking about spiritual blessings spiritual best blessings and it really causes us to elevate our thoughts over and above the temporal the temporary 
and the material, the things that rot and decay and rust away and are stolen by thieves. And it causes us to think of the blessings that we have in Christ, the spiritual blessings that we have. And I want to talk about what some of those might be in our lives. We are justified. There are some theological terms that I'm going to use for a little moment here, but justification, I remember it being explained to me this way, it's, it's just as though you've never sinned. When you come to Christ, you are justified. You're given a new life. You're given a new start. The Bible says that, that we are new creations in Christ Jesus, that the old is gone and the new has come. And, and there's nothing else in this world that gives people a fresh start at life like the rela- a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that can do that in life. People can say, well, I need a do-over. Jesus doesn't give a do-over. He makes us new creations. We're justified. And when you come to Christ and you look back at your old life, you say, that was the old man. The Bible talks about putting to death the sinful nature. And the old person, the old man, the old you literally dies. And we're raised new in Christ. We're given new life in Christ. And that's why you're able to kind of stand up, put your shoulders back and and say, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I have been justified. I have been redeemed. You've been bought back from sin. You've been brought back from the clutches of Satan and, and evil. You've been set free. These are spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. They are reserved for us. Here's another one. We've been adopted. We've been adopted. We've been brought into a new family and and we've been experiencing a little bit of this blessing in our own home where our son and daughter-in-law brought in a little little foster child. And I look at this, this little child that has not just got a new mom and dad, but they've got new grandparents and on both sides and, and aunts and uncles and, and, a, and a new life and a warm bed and, and comfort and security. This child has not been adopted, but, but is experiencing something new and special. And the fact of the matter is, friends, when we come to Jesus Christ, we are adopted by Christ. We are adopted. We are brought into the family of God. We have a sense of belonging, a place of belonging. That's why I'm talking about the importance of being in a life group. Because we're adopted into a family. And as a family, we do life together. We, we enjoy communal, uh, maybe not communal living the way we think of it, but doing life in community, sharing with each other, belonging to each other. We are adopted into the family of God. That's another spiritual blessing that we have. The guilt is gone. The shame is gone. Our minds are renewed. Our thinking is renewed through Jesus Christ. Be transformed, the Bible says, by the renewing of your mind. People say, well, I like to change my thinking. I wish I, I wouldn't think that way. When you come to Christ, your mind is renewed. So as we close this morning, we look at these passages of Scripture and we realize a few different things. We've been born again. We're saints. We belong. We belong. We belong to Jesus. And as people that belong to Jesus, we can experience grace and peace 
and incredible spiritual blessings. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Thanks for listening to Christian Life Assembly's Message of the Week. Be sure to check us out at clawinnipeg.org for more information.